I, I should have mentioned ability to count is a, a minimum requirement on the Creative Coding Podcast. <laughs> That's what I use programming for. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Creative Coding Podcast, episode 61. I'm Seb Lee Delisle, and I'm joined today by my very special guest host, Dan Schiffman. Welcome, Dan. Hello. Welcome to me. Thank you. I'm so glad <laughs> to be here. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you're here as well. I mean, you've been on the, the podcast a couple of times. We were just talking about that, right? I don't remember the dates, but I, I distinctly... <laughs> really? Your eidetic <laughs> no. memory lets you down? No, but I have a very specific memory of sitting outside on a bench, a band playing nearby, and a kind of phone just recording us chattering away. Now, that that was at CMU, right? I think it was at CMU, yeah, that's right. Um, but I think we did one in New York once as we, well I, it possibly I, we might have just had a conversation without recording it that's <laughs> yeah. obviously that would, would be the point of that i record all of my conversations so. <laughs> i vaguely remember we talked about a book at cmu it's a nice memory for me because uh, i feel like it was one of the first times i did something that actually set a deadline for myself and i'm, I'm hoping maybe we can accomplish that again today <laughs> because right. because i said something on the podcast like oh you know well, i'm planning to have the book out by january something something and then of course it was probably about a year later when I finally did it but always in the back of my mind was I gotta get working on that because I said it on the podcast I'm pretty sure you're still quite late actually (laughs) (laughs) but I'm glad that we gave you at least a bit of motivation but what was that would that have been nature of code that's right it was and and actually I'm I'm now currently working on an updated version of it and converting everything to uh, JavaScript as well so that's kind of like, <laughs> I want to have that out by the end of the summer, because before the <laughs> fall semester gets rolling, I feel like I need to have that project done and out the door. Okay, so just, just to be specific and for yeah. extra pressure, you mean summer of this year, right? So two, <laughs> the year is 2016. I mean, we can dub that over later and it can just sound like this, 2018, whenever I figure, actually figure it out with a different voice. <laughs> <laughs> did the first version, did that go well? It did. It was really, I, for me, it was one of the first things I did that was kind of out all independently. Um, you know, I had done a book called Learning Processing, and I, I did that with a, you know, regular publisher, a huge publisher, and it, most of that was a negative experience. <laughs> and so it was kind of a thrill. It was it was a lot more work and a lot more difficult than I had I imagine, but it was really eye-opening to be able to kind of do that on my own. And that's kind of, I think, (laughs) that thread is kind of percolated through all the types of things that I'm interested in doing now. It was a Kickstarter, wasn't it? So the Kickstarter was the thing. The podcast was my first moment of actually like saying I was doing it and having a deadline. And then the Kickstarter actually was even more so and much stronger. It It was the kind of thing that I was working on for a couple years, but it was just like in my quote-unquote free time. (laughs) So um, by the time I started the Kickstarter, then it was, oh, look, there's actually this list of people waiting for it, and I've got to, that's the thing. The main benefit that the publisher gave to me was a deadline. (laughs) And uh, and people asking me to do this at a certain time. And so Kickstarter, for me, was also that. Doing it that way, I was able to just put the whole thing as HTML online. I could make... PDF available for pay, pay what you want. I could sell copies through Amazon. And it's like, literally, if I want, I can get it, you know, email notification every single time somebody purchases the book, which is like, a, you know, with a publisher, I get a statement twice a year. Yeah, that's unacceptable. So it's a, that connection with the audience. We need more data. Yes. That's what we need. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just looking it up and I've found um, a reference to you, episode 18 
posted December 2011. <laughs> that sounds about right. What? Because How did that happened. <laughs> That's craziness. But um, we should, I suppose, introduce you a little bit. I mean, I'd be very surprised if, well, put it this way, if any of our listeners don't know who you are, then that's just something that we need to rectify immediately because you're so instrumental in the learning of creative coding, certainly to non-coders. And so you've done that through your book, Learning Processing, which is excellent early starter guide. And then I guess, uh, what's the next one? Nature, Nature of, of Code, code which yeah. is the next step, isn't it, from that? Yes, it's sort a silly of more name. advanced stuff. But you also teach in New York, right? Right. So I teach full-time at a program called ITP, which is housed in the Tisch School of the Arts, which is housed in New York University. So giant, uh, massive institution, although ITP itself is kind of this core. I mean, it's not core community of 200-plus people, and I teach a lot of just classes related to programming and creativity, I might say, loosely. And I'm sure a lot of our guests have, have been through that, or if they're not still there, you know, Zach Lieberman, <laughs> Jer Thorpe. Both Zach and Jer have taught as adjuncts at ITP. Yeah. Uh, before, so they've all been yeah. through there, right? Everyone. Yeah, yes. And yes. many more, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> but you're also heavily involved with processing. Yes. Yeah, so I started working on processing. I mean, I don't know. I Sorry, started... processing. Yeah, I, I no, you're That's, saying it the correct way, oh, trust I? me. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm saying it the the sad American way. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm glad we got that straight. <laughs> yes. It's well, it's very clear um, to me. Now all you need to do is start spelling color correctly and we'll yes. be we'll be there. <laughs> yes, and and gray, I think is it? No, I don't know. Anyway, um, so processing, I was not involved with the origins of processing. That began as a project. Uh, Casey Reese and Ben Fry started working at that at the MIT Media Lab under John Maida. Yeah, who've both been on the show a long time right. ago, probably before 2011. Right, but right when I graduated, so I was a student at ITP. Basically, I was a student at ITP. I graduated in 2003, and I just kind of like sat around <laughs> until he <laughs> finally agreed to start paying me. <laughs> um, and I've been there ever since, pretty much. But right after I graduated, I can't remember who it was. It was either Josh Nimoy or perhaps Amit Pitaru. Somebody came and did a workshop um, at ITP using processing. And I was like, huh, that looks cool. <laughs> and we, at the time, we were using Macromedia Director and the Lingo programming language oh, yeah. to teach the intro programming course. So I taught a course in the spring of 2004, and it had a, a silly name, Procedural Painting, it was called. Oh, that's suitably pretentious. I like it. Yes. Uh, no. <laughs> I can't take any credit for that name. It was forced upon me. Um, but it was kind of like a trial run to see if we could replace our intro programming class with processing. And when I did that course, there were certainly materials and tutorials and, and people doing workshops, but there weren't both. There weren't, those are the number of stuff there is right now. So I started just writing handouts for each week, little PDF or HTML handouts. And that was my kind of first foray into writing tutorials with, you know, driven by the sort of like neurotic anxiety of not being prepared for class. <laughs> and it's kind of been that way ever since. But those handouts are, you know, essentially the origins of the learning processing book and all the stuff that I've done since then. And over the years, uh, you know, I eventually became more, you know, I was a volunteer for just working on processing stuff and then collaborating more with Casey and Ben and then working with Lauren McCarthy on this new P5JS project. And the, the major change, I think, that happened 2012, processing became a nonprofit foundation. So we're, you know, a New York City, uh, sorry, New York State corporation. We have nonprofit status, tax exempt status. 
And the idea was to say, we need to have some kind of formal entity to kind of maintain this, not maintain the software, but also to really think about education initiatives, community initiatives, diversity initiatives, and really kind of broaden our horizons and not just be kind of like a group that's just sort of fixing bugs constantly. So yeah, and sure. kind of bring more people in. So that's, that's kind of where we are today. And so I, I, I spend a lot of my time as essentially like an administrator of that organization, doing like bookkeeping and <laughs> really? ema- emails and that sort of thing. Bookkeeping, well, you do the accounts. I do, although we finally just now hired a, a proper bookkeeper who will whip us into shape. So <laughs> that's going to... I've been enjoying one of my favorite pastimes, spreadsheets, but... Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now somebody else will come in and help everything with that. comes back to data right i guess so. that's all yeah. it is i mean you've <laughs> always been producing loads of learning material though haven't you i mean i remember back in the 2000s it would be helping everyone on the forums and then obviously your book and now i mean it just seems like you're producing a crazy amount of videos yes <laughs> i think i was trying to do the math i definitely have over 300 now in my uh, I think over 300 videos. And if you think about they're all like somewhere between 10 to 30 minutes each, it's a lot of, you can spend a lot of hours watching them. I'm a little bit sort of daunted by that. But recently I was approached by an artist to collaborate, right? And I I hate collaborating. (laughs) 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 Um, Particularly with people who aren't technical, you know, because you end up just being the programmer, right? Right, right, yes. So I was like, yeah, maybe you should learn to program and and she said well where how can i start and i was like well just look at dan's stuff but of course i imagine someone going to your youtube channel and thinking there's 300 videos here like where the hell do you start i need to do a better job of organizing this stuff yeah that's the story of my life really i do yeah i do have two playlists that are designed for people who have zero experience whatsoever yeah um so on, on the one hand, my, my goal with the channel is to, you know, one thing is to be as informal and friendly as fun as possible, to have it be something that's kind of engages people in a, and builds a sort of community. Um, but I, I'm all, it's also a, a thing that I guess I'm trying to find that balance between these are like total beginner tutorials, but there's also stuff here for people who maybe know some stuff already and want to like discover something new. Mm. Um, or perhaps just be amused by my making mistakes for 20 minutes in a video <laughs> and not being able to figure it out. So, But I mean, I noticed that your recent series is like coding challenges in 10 minutes or something. Right. Yeah, that that didn't really work out no. so well. I don't know if you've ever tried this. Have you ever tried have, to just yeah. like... I love it. Uh, oh, you've done this on stage, actually. Yes. Yeah, I have done it on stage, yeah. So when you... Let me ask you a question. Uh-huh. When you when you do something like... that, Let's say you do... Uh, you're going to program something. I think you did like... Did you do like an Angry Birds something or other? Yeah, like, I, did a, I did Angry Birds in 10 minutes or something. Or 30 minutes, yeah. I think it was. And is this something you rehearsed and practiced in advance? Yeah, or? that one was. You know, I guess most of my live coding demos are fairly well rehearsed these days, um, although they do change every time. And, you know, and if you can be open to suggestions and heckling from the audience, then that's great. <laughs> right. But there have been times where, you know, someone has said, oh, do a Starfield or do something else, or it's given me this idea of something that I've maybe experimented with in the past, yeah. but I haven't specifically practiced there and right. then. Inevitably, they end up going longer than yeah. they're meant to be, right? Particularly, it yes. depends what you're working in as well, right? Because 
I think most of the time I would be working in Canvas and without something like p5.js, then you don't even have vector right. library or any kind of <laughs> tools or utilities or anything. So you're like, oh, I'm just going to quickly knock up a physics system. Oh, wait, I'm just going to make a vector object. Oh, you know, <laughs> and so then, yeah. you know, it just gets a bit, it, it, it gets a bit unwieldy. I think there are some platforms, I think perhaps in the future I should use p5.js and I think yeah, I'd have I, a lot of a head start. Yeah, well, so I'm discovering something new for me, which is that, for, you know, so I had probably, before I started doing the videos, I probably had something like eight years of teaching mm. experience. And so I had all this kind of material that had just been like, drilled into my head in a way that like a kind of muscle memory thing, like, you know, oh, I taught uh, how to build a flocking system, you know, 75 times. Yeah. So when it came to make the video about it, I would just show up to <laughs> the place where I had the camera and turn it on and start <laughs> coding it and talking about it. And then I would be done. And I would go home and I'd have some tea and whatever. But now I have discovered as I've kind of gotten through that material, I'm sort of like somebody, somebody <laughs> requested, Oh, could you really, could you do a tutorial on like the Julia set fractal? And I was like, right. yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And so I start doing it and then I get stuck on a bug or I realize I can't remember how the math works. I'm trying to read the Wikipedia page. And, you know, at, there's a point where I'm like, this is the worst thing I've ever done. People are going to just hate this and I'm, I, I look like such a fool. But mostly the feedback I'm getting is more like, oh, I'm, I really enjoyed that. I was so glad to see somebody else struggling. Yeah. And so... Um, well, I think you're probably a bit like me in that you generally yeah. fail entertainingly. Yes. Well, <laughs> hopefully. And so what I'm doing now, which I think is a lot of fun is, for me at least, is <laughs> once or twice a week, I am doing a live stream. So I have a recording studio with cameras and microphone and computer. And so I live stream my live coding session, which are typically about two hours. So I'm just sitting there talking and programming and making silly jokes and sometimes dancing around, whatever stupid, embarrassing stuff I can think of to do. Basically, after that's finished, there'll be this like long two-hour archive that if somebody really wanted to, they could watch. But then I'll kind of edit out of that some like 10 or 15 or minute tutorials. So a lot of the archive is be like, oh, it's trying to find like a sound. Like yesterday I did a tutorial on putting sound effects into a game, like a snake game. And so half an hour was me like Googling around to try to find the right sound effects. And then I started the actual tutorial and then the, there'll be a video. <laughs> Such an the, artist. Like, let's yes. make a game. Oh, wait, I'm just going to find the sounds like three days later. <laughs> Not yes. quite right yet. <laughs> Yeah. The, the so, munchy sound of the snake it just is not snaky enough <laughs> yeah. I have so many so mixed feelings about doing this video stuff because on the one hand to me the kind of the way that I enjoy teaching and the way that I see people learning the most is just like hanging out together 10 or less people in a room trying stuff out talking to each other working on projects presenting this idea of standing in front of a room, lecturing to like a lecture hall of a thousand students, taking notes is not, you know, it, it might be entertaining or it might be a positive experience, but I don't believe that's really where the programming learning happens. So I feel sort of strange about doing all these videos because to me, the videos are more like the standing in the lecture hall. At the same time, people seem to really enjoy them. It seems to be, the, in, uh, for better or worse, the kind of textbook of today. Mm. You know, students are learning more from watching videos than yeah. from getting textbooks and reading. 
So, but one of the things I've really liked about doing the live stream is it's it's a little bit of taster. It brings back that kind of community aspect. So there's the people now that there's this one person, Oliver, who has been on most every live stream and always, 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 I'm getting perfect corrections <laughs> uh, and suggestions in the chat. So like there's a live chat that's going on that I could kind of take a peek at. Is it, is it on Google Hangouts? I'm doing a direct stream to YouTube. Um, I'm, I'm using a hmm. software. It's commercial software called Wirecast. Oh, yeah, I know. So Wirecast I used it years take, ago. It, yeah. it was always a bit shaky. Is it? it I would it, hope it's pinned down a bit better now. It, yeah, it has its flaws, but it, it works really quite perfectly for my purposes right now because one of the things that I'm doing is I have a green screen wall that I stand in front of, and it allows me to do live keying. So I can mm. kind of stand in front of my computer screen and then i have a like a weather person like station where i can kind of see off to the side a preview so i can pretend i'm pointing at things it is brilliant like if you haven't seen it you've got to go and check it out is that the technical setup is really cool so that's all done with wirecast that's interesting the wirecast actually right currently i'm i stream stream live to youtube facebook and twitch all at the same time right because i was trying to see if one platform would kind of take off it seems that youtube is the one where where the chat and the bulk of the people are watching so the chat is that on youtube then if there's a youtube has a chat built into their live sessions it's not like i have hundreds or thousands of people of watching so it's a small you know it's anywhere between 20 and 100 people um, who who end up watching the live stream depending on how good i am at announcing it or timing it Mm. actually interestingly enough the vast majority of my audience on youtube are americans but the vast majority of the people watching live are in Europe or other places in the world. And I wonder if that has to do with the timing because I generally do them in the morning, like New York City, Eastern time, and maybe that's like early evening. And Is it is it every uh, week? I mean, how, are we, how do we find out about these things? So one thing I've been saying that I should do for at least a year is establish a regular schedule, but I, <laughs> I haven't managed to do that. But I am committed to doing it at least once a week. And I've actually been doing it twice a week, often on Tuesdays and Fridays. Um, but what I do do is I... I post to Twitter always when I'm doing it and when I'm about to do it. But I have an email list where I will send out an email once a week saying the approximate time. And you can actually sign up at uh, a new website that I just launched called CodingRainbow.com, which is the uh, the name I... That's your new brand, isn't it, really? My new brand. And it's, it's an homage to um, Reading Rainbow, which was a children's program here in the States right. for kids uh, in, the, I guess, probably in the 80s. I have a Coding Rainbow theme song coming, which a friend of mine who is a composer for television and film uh, is is helping with the theme song so i'm looking to to launch that soon <laughs> is it going to be similar to the theme tune from the kids show yeah i don't know yet but the, the idea is a i wanted something that felt inclusive and not kind of mathy and computery and just <laughs> fun and i don't have any interest in necessarily my channel being thought of as like it's like a computer science channel or i, I wanted to just sort of be something that seems friendly and open so it seems like rainbow Rainbows yeah. were a nice way of expressing that. We, we had a kid's show <laughs> called Rainbow in the UK. Ah, yes. In the 70s. Right. It also, it, I, I realized it's a good hook because yesterday I was doing the Julia set fractal and everybody in the chat was like, make it a rainbow. And I, so yeah. I did something with HSB color and then I did the snake game and the tail of the snake was a rainbow color. So Every, it's yeah, just, absolutely. everything's better with a rainbow. Everyone says when you start, when you start to learn creative coding, don't just pick the obvious rainbow colors. And it's like... Why, why not? Absolutely yeah. choose the rainbow colors. That's the best thing. Yeah. Look, we can just cycle through the hue. 
We've got rainbows. This is amazing. <laughs> well, you know, I have to admit that I, I may have many, I may have some talents, but visual design is really not one of them. <laughs> so <laughs> if I could sort of pick something that just kind of gives me a hook, I always feel like my examples are ugly and awkward visually. And the sort of point of that is to like, just want to kind of demonstrate the idea and let the audience be the creative, beautiful designers who can make something better out of it. So, but rainbow is an easy way for me to just... Add something without having to think about it. I'm pretty terrible, but you know when you just find a colour scheme that you really love? Yeah. And then you just stick to it. For me, for the last few years, cyan and magenta, I just can't get mm-hmm. enough of it. Right. It's all pink and purple for me. Cyan and magenta, was, what else do you <laughs> need? You don't need yes. any of the other colours. That's it. And the best part is if you put them together, you get white. Right. Oh, interesting. Right. So loads of cyan and magenta lights, and it will all be interesting coloured shadows, but, but generally you'll have a good white light. Oh, it's great. Sorry, I just went off for one. Uh, <laughs> um, but you're sort of, yeah, interesting what you were saying about you don't want it to be like presenting lecture style. I mean, it's, it's really not, is it? I mean, it's obviously very informal, and, and I think because of the, the attitude of how you present in your classes... I think that just because you're used to doing that. I mean, for me, it's like when I'm presenting on stage, I want it to seem informal and friendly, like we're having a conversation. But of course, that's a fiction, right? Because I'm not getting anything back. It's not like a conversation. But if I can have that sort of manner, then I think it puts people at their ease. And I think that's probably, that seems to be what you do as well. Yeah. One thing that is difficult, and certainly if I'm, teaching you there's a feel for the room yeah and uh, you know if you 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 either make a bad jo- as i often do make a bad joke and nobody <laughs>, laughs and then it comes about awkward pause and then they do laugh you can kind of have this interplay yeah and i do find that there are moments the live stream is good because i have this sense but it i, I often feel like i want to do a, like kind of have like a in-studio audience type of thing (laughs) you know yeah i don't want to sound too grand um but it does become a tricky thing where i i I often get kind of like lost in my own thoughts or i kind of even just forget what i'm doing or kind of lose that sense of the the person being there at one point i actually had like taped up like a picture of people next to the camera so i would like remember to look in that direction at least but can you invite people on the hangout with their cameras i mean that might help might not yeah i have thought of doing um something like um kind of q and a style thing where like a call in show in a way like people <laughs> could call in with their programming question and then i would kind of answer it sounds great uh, like a dear, dear abby style thing but i i just want to do like every possible weird experiment that i can think of so <laughs> And, and now I notice a few animated GIFs cropping up. Yes. Well, I have a habit of... Uh, dancing around. Just <laughs> dancing around. And I think, unfortunately, I get a lot of people egging me on and, <laughs> chat and stuff, which is... Which, of course, you don't, get, you don't submit to. Right. Yeah, of course. Because <laughs> you're right. way too professional to just dance around <laughs> with rainbows in the background. Yeah. That's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, I haven't, I've watched a couple of your videos, but I've, I'm obviously, I follow you and I see them go past every now and again. Right. And, and I think, oh, because there's so, there's so much crossover with what I do. It's like, oh, there's a tree <laughs> or there's, yeah. uh, there's a 3D star field or there's a, a landscape. And it's like all of these things that I've done in the past that I guess are kind of core coding things, aren't they? Yeah, it's, it's like, I feel like I'm often 
in the place where I'm sort of doing creative coding greatest hits, yeah. kind of. It is tricky because there's sometimes that thread. Uh, I, I think Marius Watts wrote, a, this is probably from many years ago, but a blog post kind of about algorithmic cliches in a way. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, uh, here's my L system and I made it with rainbow colors and this is my artwork. And, you know, sort of questioning what is the value of an algorithm without your own spin on it type of thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm butchering what I'm sure were more eloquent words in his yeah. post. But for me, from a learning, as a learning to me, there's something magical when you're first learning and trying to figure things out to be able to kind of recreate these things that you've seen, that are known, that are exciting. And so I, so to me, I think it's really valuable to have that as a resource. And you yeah. know, I hope that then that lets people create their own original ideas from these kind of algorithmic greatest hits type things. Yeah. I guess. Well, and, and Marius, I mean, he's been on the show as well. I, yeah. I, I know him well and love him. I haven't seen him for ages, actually. Um, but, you know, obviously he comes from a very different end of the arts world than I do and probably you as well, I guess. Right. In that, you know, he's trying to produce works of art with credibility, whereas right. we're dancing around making rainbows. Right. So, <laughs> right. And, and I, I suppose those things I mentioned, like in particular, like the tree and also the Perlin noise landscape thing. Right. I mean, those are things that are really magical, aren't they? I mean, they really are. There's such a, and there's generally quite simple systems, generally not very much code. And to me, that's, that's what's exciting about programming. And I hope, and I believe that that's what gets creative people excited about programming, yeah. right? And, and for me, I, I, you know, I've had this experience countless times and I, I had it yesterday where I'll look at a Wikipedia page or a Wolfram Math World page and I just look at it and be like, oh, this is not for me. Yeah. This is impossible. I don't know what these symbols are and mm. this is for somebody else. And so, but, um, but ultimately a lot of these algorithms aren't that impenetrable and they're fun and sim not simple is maybe the wrong word, but they're fun and approachable and you can engage with them without having to be an expert or a scientist. Mm. And so that's kind that's one of my goals, at least with the channel and the videos is to, kind of say that to a wider audience of people who might come from different backgrounds and interests and to, to be able to feel empowered to be able to do some of this stuff on their own and not feel like it's not for them. Yeah. What's happening with P5JS? I've been hoping to get Lauren on the show and I'm hoping she will join us shortly. You definitely should get Lauren. She's amazing. She's one of my personal heroes. Well, we're in touch. Um, <laughs> and I think she's up for it. But obviously, they're, well, they just got married, right? Yes, <laughs> um, that's correct. Might be a bit busy at the moment, but I'll, yes. I'll carry on working on it. But in the meantime, I, I've got a feeling that we've talked about P5.js. I think it... We because there was processing JS, wasn't there? And that always that was right. always one of those things that was technically impressive. But I certainly felt at the time that there was a need for a version of processing that felt yes. more like native JavaScript rather than a JavaScript right. interpreter for the processing right. language, right? And right. so that, then, of course, P5.js showed up and it was like, well, this looks amazing. I don't have to do this anymore myself. <laughs> Um, it just seemed like exactly the right kind of attitude towards yeah. processing in JavaScript. Right. But uh, other than that, I haven't really taken a very deep look into it, right. but it's been around for a while now. 
Yeah, so it's people. It's very confusing because there are so many different projects and things related to processing. Part of the processing foundation, not not officially part of the foundation, but with the same with friends and that sort of thing. <laughs> and so maybe I can do some good in the world by trying to give my take or take on what some of these projects are and their goals are a little bit here. Yeah. So briefly, I'll mention processing.js is a project that um, it, it's a wonderful project in that it does something truly magical, which is we'll take your processing code and convert it automatically, automagically, as some might say, um, to JavaScript, so you can kind of run your processing code in the browser. That project is uh, separately maintained and developed, and it's not a kind of processing foundation project. So what, which one is that? Processing.js? Proce- that's processing.js, right. which was started by John Resig, and then it uh, was taken over by... From jQuery. Um, yes, uh, taken over by various other people that you can find through GitHub. Now, what happened in, I think it was probably like 2012 or 2013, I think like over maybe like a lunch at IO. I don't know if I'm romanticizing the story and it didn't really happen this way. <laughs> the sun was but, setting, but, yeah. the birds were singing. <laughs> there was a beautiful rainbow in the sky. But Lauren McCarthy was there, certainly. And yeah. we were having a conversation about you know, processing as a project was started in 2001 for mm. a variety of reasons and with a variety of ideals and philosophies behind it. And so what if you took those reasons and ideals and philosophies and plopped them into 2013, you know, where would you start? And, you know, somebody might say, I think you should do it in C++, or I think you should make a Python version. And there is a Python version of processing. There's always many good reasons for any environment or language you can possibly think of. But one of the core ideas of processing at the beginning was shareability on the web. And... It might seem strange to say this, but at the time, Java applets, that was the thing. And they were an amazing, new, exciting, and like primary technology. And, and now that's essentially a dead technology. But JavaScript as the language of the browser, and also as the language of so many things, it made sense to ask that question, and uh, to, to, to answer that question with JavaScript. And so lo- what we did is we, we started something new there called Processing Fellowships. We, we provide a stipend. In, in, that, in, in most cases, it's a $3,000 stipend to work on a kind of thought experiment, a project that could have nothing to do with code. It could be about community or education or diversity. With Lauren, it was, let's explore this idea. And so she explored the idea as a fellowship. And I think the two major innovations that Lauren did are, one, she said, this isn't just about ES6 or HTML5 or what's the newest technology. It's really also about starting an open source platform in a kind of cultural landscape of how do we make something more accessible, not more accessible just as the audience of people using it, but to the audience of people contributing to it. So um, more women, more people of color, more anybody on GitHub who's a beginner can contribute. So that's one of her first kind of core ideals, which I think was really important. And the other thing that she said was, this isn't about porting processing to JavaScript, um, even though a lot of the API is the same, but it's really about reimagining processing in a kind of web environment. And one of the things that is most, was most exciting for me about starting to teach with P5.js, it was like, oh, oh no, I have to learn HTML and CSS. I don't actually, I don't actually know that stuff. And so um, 
P5, also, in addition to being a canvas that you can draw in, has a DOM library, meaning you can add buttons and sliders and text boxes. And you know, you're not going to be a professional web developer necessarily using the DOM library in your practice of building this like giant bank website or something. But for this idea of sketching for the web, for learning the basics, having this kind of all-in-one JavaScript library, to me, it's absolutely wonderful. And I think uh, you know the work that Lauren did to kind of create this community of people now building and contributing to it is really amazing. It's a, yeah. you know, it still has a lot to go, a lot more to go, but it's, yeah. that's, so you can that's kind of my take. Kind of DOM elements and put in HTML stuff as well yes. as your canvas. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yes. And I have, I, I have a whole set of tutorials about that. On oh, YouTube. do you? Is it on, on coding rainbow? <laughs> on coding rainbow. Sorry. I'm, I'm making a joke for only, I, 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 I feel like at times I'm a like late night TV ad person uh, with my, uh, <laughs> Oh, well, we could have uh, a whole podcast about marketing, <laughs> yes, couldn't we? Yes. And how yes. difficult and awkward it yeah. makes us feel. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, is that yes. just me? It's not. No. Me. Oh, it's. Uh, I don't mean to have that entire podcast right <laughs> yeah, now, careful. but it's very tricky. I also just walk blurry, strange lines. You know, I want processing as a nonprofit, and I want people to contribute to processing. I also work at a university, so technically, all this other stuff I do is my research, and I'm paid for that for the university. But then I have, I'm you know, am I, I'm using YouTube ads to see if I can get a little income from that. Should I be doing that? Should I not be doing that? Is that offending people? Is that obnoxious? I have a Patreon. It's all, I'm, I'm confused about all of this. Yeah. <laughs> so you just started so, the Patreon, didn't you? Yes, how's I did. The, how's that going? It's going pretty, it's, okay, it's going wonderfully in that I love that there's a small community of people who now subscribe and I interact with. So I, I didn't want to do anything where I, I, you know, oh, if you subscribe to the Patreon, then there's, you know, private videos for only Patreon, or you're getting like t-shirts mailed to you. I didn't want to like create this sort of closed system or a lot of additional work for myself. Yeah. So what I, what I decided to do for me, an educational model that I've been thinking about is content is free and open and interaction or, or like discussion or participation is maybe like a for pay service. So I created a Slack channel. So the idea is that people who are subscribing like $5 a month are then now in a Slack channel and we discuss and answer questions and share code examples there. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know if that's, a good solution or that sounds but all right that's, i mean you know but, we've got yeah. we have patreon as well dan right yes uh, <laughs> and how's that going for you patreon.com forward slash coding rainbow right hey, that's that's Go right and support yes, dan is. and what he does <laughs> if you want to support us we're at patreon.com forward slash creative coding he's doing way better you're doing way better than we are dan <laughs> like double it's a bit awkward isn't it <laughs> It's fine. Well, but actually what you're doing is really super popular and useful, so I can't really complain. <laughs> I should probably contribute as well, really. Yeah. But I have to say I spent all of my time, almost all of my time listening to podcasts. So Do you? I think this is, yeah. Yeah, it's, I find that it's, you know, I spend a lot of time on the subway or bike riding or jogging or go, trying to go to sleep and podcasts are my kind of relaxation yeah. thing, which I think there's something really nice about the feeling of somebody kind of talking into your ear versus the, I'm you know, this bright screen kind of staring mm. at me with this light. Yeah, but you know what? We, so. We've got quite a few thousand listeners, but we don't really hear from them very much. So it's right. kind of like broadcasting into the abyss so right. if you come and say hi everyone <laughs> talk to us let us know you exist i do think it's really important in this world of creating media to figure out a way to not only create the content but to create the community yeah and that actually that's something we haven't really done i mean i suppose we've got a facebook yeah. page 
we've got a Twitter account. You know, there's a bit of communication on there. Maybe people have suggested Slack before. Maybe that's good. Yeah, I've been enjoying it. I, you know, I don't have a strong opinion one way or for the other. I've been enjoying it just as it's totally new to me and it seems to be like all the rage. <laughs> you know, one thing that really helped me is there is, the, there is a very large processing community. And I, I do feel a little conflicted about this because I kind of, uh, you know, reap the benefits of that as in some ways about being a very public face of processing. Like if you go to the processing page, there's like a Vimeo video of me talking about the new processing three because I'm like, hey, put me in the video. I'm happy to sort of be the one to volunteer to do that sort of thing. But I, you know, uh, I feel that sometimes I'm, I get uh, too, too many thank yous for the, the, the work that other people are doing. And, you know, one of the things going back a bit to that discussion about processing in P5.js is that, you know, if you Building an open source tool, I think that creating it or building a new library or making a new code example is like really fun and actually not necessarily that hard, but maintaining it over time and dedicating yourself year after year to fixing bugs and making new releases and keeping the documentation going, that is the really hard, tough work. And I think that there are a lot of people, you know, Casey Reese, Ben Fry, Lauren McCarthy, I'm just naming the sort of like, um, you know, I could keep going on and on to name you, um, that it's really important to like send the donations and send the thank yous and uh, uh, that way, as opposed to just the goofy people who are dancing around on a screen to yeah, uh, I mean, you're yeah, being but. too modest, really. <laughs> I mean, just obviously documentation and learning is super critical on any open yeah. source pro- project. I mean, how many open source projects are just completely impenetrable, right? Right. So your work is super valuable and actually very very few projects are lucky enough to have someone like you putting all this time into dancing around on youtube (laughs) yeah everyone wants that so i'm just sorry there was stuff about p5 that i wanted to talk about that i've sort of forgot is it as complete as processing yet it's a good question. I would say I would say the I have a couple thoughts on that. One is I think the core library is and is in very good shape. You know, one of the things that I think that has made processing so special is not, you know, the core library itself, the core API, the drawing functions is sort of a small thing. In, in one way, that's by design. Like the referencing is one page. And so it's simple and easy to use. But the fact that processing was built with its own editor was I think such a powerful innovation. You know, there was no Download Xcode and or set up your environment variables or all of this like you know you need two weeks before you can get started. So self-contained. Self-contained. The world that we live in in terms of programming for the web, you know, it's not as obvious whether or not that's something that's necessary. You know, there are countless browser-based code editors, Code Pen, JSBin, JSBin. There's t- countless browser-based editor things you can download Adam sublime so yeah. you can use all these tools and we did though have the thought like but we you know my point of view has been that if p5js is even though it's possible to use all of these and ultimately we want to support and provide pathways for people using any variety of tools with developing it one thing that i view as super important is that you know xy Z person who has never done any of this before or, or, or is teaching a Saturday afternoon workshop for middle school kids and just wants to have people be able to have the students be able to type ellipse and line and fill and get some colors and some code on the screen. We need something that's just like you open it up, you type the code, 
and you run it. And even something like CodePen is a little, there's a little bit more that you need to know or figure out. So we did start with a desktop editor. So there's a downloadable, it's built on top of Node WebKit or something. Um, but it has, that had proved really tricky and complicated and hard to maintain across Windows and we don't even have a Linux version. So right now what we're looking at doing, and uh, there's, there's a woman, her name is Cassie, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mispronounce her last name. She's so wonderful, and I'm going to ruin it. Tara, Tara, Tara Jackian. Someone who corrected, you know, dubbed that over in my weird <laughs> other voice. Um, or put a link in the description. I'm going to tweet all about her now. But anyway, hello, this is Cass, I think is her Twitter. Anyway, she is uh, leading the charge of developing a very simple, drop-dead kind of simple web editor for P5.js. So to me, you, you, I, I know I've just been rambling on and on. You asked the question, mm. is it as complete? And I think to me that's a missing piece that is the next one of the next big phases here to get that web editor up and running so that you don't have to write your HTML page just to start. You don't have to figure out how to add the library, um, but you can kind of open up and, and dig into that later. So, hmm. you know, and also for that shareability thing. So you're, you're that middle school student or high school student taking that Saturday workshop, you write your code and suddenly you have a link to the thing you made. You can email your parents or your friends or tweet it or whatever. Snapchat, yeah. is that the thing? Um, I did, apparently that's <laughs> what the youngies are doing now. But So that's one thing. The other thing that is sort of new is WebGL, yeah. 3D rendering. So I don't, I don't think it's a goal or a, a, that P5.js would necessarily be as fully featured or sophisticated necessarily as something like 3.js, but we do want to have 3D rendering capabilities and so there is currently a WebGL drawing mode and Kevin Seawoff, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Sorry, I know all these people and I never think to... It's all right. We mispronounce names on this show. That's how I never works. think to pronounce anybody's last names. And also uh, Karen Pang and now Matthew Caney, among other people I'm sure, are have been working really hard on that. There's even shaders coming to uh, P5's WebGL mode. But that's in, a, that's in a much more sort of raw state in terms of the capabilities of the library itself. Yeah. Last thing I just want to mention, in case people are totally new to P5.js, is there's a one wonderful audio library for P5.js uh, was just created by Jason Siegel and that has a ton of features and works beautifully and, and I, I'm sort of amazed at what you can do with sound and audio in the browser. I mean, so, it's, it's mind-blowing isn't it really I, yeah. you know if you think back to when we were first talking about this and Canvas was interesting but pretty slow and now it's yeah. so fast it's you know it's pretty much GPU all the way isn't it with most Canvas implementations now it's probably as fast or faster than the the Java runtime right? Yeah, you know, I, well, it's tricky. I, you know, I think if you if it boils down to most of the things that I've run in both environments, they do run faster in processing. I'm sure right. if you use WebGL, that wouldn't necessarily yeah. be the case. Uh, in particular, one thing that I have noticed that's particularly slow is like pixel based operations. Oh, of course. Um, so in the in Canvas, I was kind of going back and forth in one of my tutorials between processing and and uh, Canvas. Um, but you know, though, I never really worry about those types of things. You just you know you wait a few years and yeah. suddenly the the problems you had of yesterday year are the you know now everybody now it's like let's let's go work on the raspberry pi so things can be slow again and wait for that to be fast <laughs> so so i guess if you think if you're thinking about learning creative coding p5js seems ideal particularly if you want to just stick it on the internet show it to your friends but processing has a long history of yeah. being this sort of application for doing art installations yes right it's P, sort of thinking about what you need to run that i suppose it's like outputting to lots of monitors or interfacing with electronics or 
you know, reading camera input. Is, is right. P5JS anywhere near that stuff yet? I think you can do a lot of that stuff in P5JS for sure. I, I will say that that is a sort of, that is a conscious decision by design that we made with the most recent Processing 3 that came out was to push more towards those kinds of applications, those types of scenarios that aren't as necessarily as well suited for the web. So even a silly thing, one thing you'll notice in the new Processing 3 is there's just a function you could call called full screen. At last. It just launches your thing full screen. There's a function you can say span and it spans across multiple monitors. You can say full screen and which display. There is a whole version of processing now that can run on the Raspberry Pi. Mm. You can use that in combination with open frame and make a like an art installation with a Pi and a screen. Does it run fast on the Raspberry Pi? It's pretty darn good. So it doesn't, presumably it doesn't use Java. It does use Java, but it uses uh, OpenGL and, you know, these things are getting faster and better. Right. But even without it, I've been doing some tests and it runs beautifully well. This work, just mm. to mention, has been done by Gottfried Hader, who has just um, done a remarkable job figuring out all sorts of crazy, obscure bugs. But I think, uh, oh, oh, I just mentioned another thing. Actually, one of the reasons why Processing 3 runs so much faster now is for years... Uh, the whole rendering system, the window itself, was uh, built on top, extended, which is like a Java inheritance thing, extended applet. So everything was actually an, a Java applet that could be embedded into a browser. And now that nobody really does that anymore, we removed that dependency. And that allows for all of this types of kind of exclusive use of the display and screen. I, I don't really know what I'm talking about, because <laughs> this is really the work of Andres Kalubri and Ben Fry and uh, Jakub also who's been doing a lot of work recently. So Processing 3 actually, like performance-wise, this is a conscious decision we made to say, let's really push some of these kind of installation-based desktop application uses of processing further now that P5GS kind of really exists to be able to, uh, for shareability on the web. Right. You know, one, one thing that I'll mention, though, is I do think that one of the questions, I, I, I'd be curious if you have a, if you get this question or you have a standard answer to this question. The question I get so much is, oh, I want to learn coding. Like, what should I learn? Oh, I hear I should learn this. I, and I, to me, I just like the, the question is all wrong. And, you know, <laughs> in the sense that like the thing that looks interesting to you, that seems fun to you, that looks comfortable to you or that your friend knows that they want to show you, that's the thing you should use. And I, I think you can get so wrapped up in this language is better for learning or you should be doing this because, you know, I think you can yeah. always m- move and things always change and the things you learn now become irrelevant later. So, mm. um, but, but, I, but, but I, then I probably wouldn't say C++, right? <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, you know, I use C++ all the time, but right I, I i you know i definitely wouldn't say right. c plus <laughs> plus but, but but certainly the goal of all, the goal of the processing foundation really is to have tools that yeah. both straddle that line that you can both come to at the very beginning with no knowledge and get up and running but push them quite far possibly even par, far enough to use in professional commercial larger projects and sometimes yeah. people move and do something else in c plus plus and and have pathways to that yeah cool well look, i've gone way on on and on way too long before i wrap up i've just got to give a shout out to our patrons from patreon if you give us five dollars or more a month then you get your name mispronounced by us on a monthly basis (laughs) it's really good so big thanks to grant matthews heather cochran rob shearing michael hazani sam hs bradley n mandescheid lorenzo pirandini james med chris spurgeon adam butler and dan hetz thank you very much we love you. Yeah, our patrons. Woo. Should we read out yours as well, Dan? 
<laughs> I don't know. I didn't. I don't know if I have permission to read their names. You have too many. Many <laughs> would take us. I don't know about that. Take us forever. But yes, um, you'll also find us on Twitter, cc underscore pod, and on the internet, ccpod.co. And also, please like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash creative coding. I think that sounds that sounds too that good, doesn't it? Sounds perfect. I'm going to check what our Facebook is. I don't think that is. Oh, it's Creative Coding Podcast, um, not Creative Coding. That would be too fancy. Um, yeah, so like us on Facebook, rate us on iTunes. That's really, really helpful. Dan, thank you so much. You should come back and be a guest host again. It was brilliant. I would love to. This was so enjoyable yeah. to me. And I always say it's always my dream to be on. Because I listen to so many podcasts, I feel like I finally made it. I'm on a podcast. I'm a bit afraid to ask, <laughs> but do you listen to this one? I do listen to this one. Absolutely. Oh, okay. Yes. What, what, what do you like? Well, frankly, I love, well, you're not always on with Ian, but I love your banter. That's oh, my yeah. favorite part. <laughs> I just like, I, you know, the creative coding topics are, in, are of course, interesting to me. And I love it when you have a guest that it's not somebody that I um, kind of knew about before. So, oh, good. which is well, always that's fun. Very, that's very kind. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yes. Did you hear the last one where me and Ian were in the same room for once? Because Ian's been working in London, so I went to London to record a podcast and ah. we just found ourselves staring at each other and it just freaked us out because we're usually on Skype or whatever. Well, <laughs> I, not, to, not to keep going on about, but uh, you know, I spent, uh, I spent uh, half a year in the UK and it was just the most yes. lovely time and I'm, I'm coming back. So we'll do the next one. We'll do the, I don't know. I don't have a plan yet, oh. but I'm, I'm, I'm saying that with a great desire. You just have to. So we'll do the next one in person, in per- hopefully outside with a, with a band playing nearby. Is there anything you want to plug? So we've got your Coding Rainbow on Patreon. What's your YouTube channel? If you go to uh, youtube.com slash user slash Schiffman, you'll find it. And actually, you could just go to codingrainbow.com, yeah. and that has all the information there. And about your books and everything. Yeah, you can find your way there as well. And bug me about the, everybody should bug me on Twitter about the Nature of Code JavaScript version book if you're interested in that so that I get have, it done. Well, did you want us to, to set a deadline? <laughs> oh, yeah. The deadline will be, I want to have it out by the end beginning of, of by the end of, beginning of September. First of September. You heard <laughs> yeah, it. Well, I, do. I, should, I should do one of those things where I have to like give a dollar a day to charity or something for every day that I have, <laughs> don't have it published, but we'll see. I like it. Yes, excellent. All right. Well, thanks again, okay. Dan. Thanks for joining us and thanks everyone for listening i'll see you next time on the creative coding podcast goodbye bye bye cool stopping recording